Thank you for joining us for the Tucson Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Brent Armstrong. This podcast features the messages from the teaching and preaching ministry at our church. Tucson Baptist Church is located in Tucson, Arizona, and we are committed to loving God, growing together, and reaching our community. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, please visit TucsonBaptist.com. We pray that today's message is an encouragement to you. going to continue in a series of messages, and again, if you're visiting with us, we're preaching verse by verse through the book of Matthew. We've been in Matthew for many months. Our people know where I'm going to be uh, over the next uh, a week, and so we're in Matthew chapter number five. We're working our way through what's called the Beatitudes. It seemed like the world was an absolute shambles. There would be some of you who are old enough to remember this. Europe had been ravaged by the scourge of World War II, and from Great Britain to Italy, to the cities and to the villages that were marked by bombed-out buildings and rubble and ever-growing cemeteries. And on the other side of the world, uh, the South Sea Islands were pockmarked by the ferocious battles, battles like Hiroshima and Nagasaki looked like the very face of death with, with what happened with the bombings there. But world peace had now come. And uh, it looked very different than the face of death, for we know during that time period many years ago, the world was at peace. The end of World War II, General Douglas MacArthur spoke words of peace to a waiting world. You have that in your handout. Allow me to follow, uh, follow along and allow me to read this to you. Here is excerpts from the speech of General Douglas MacArthur. Today the guns are silent, the skies no longer rain death, the seas bear only commerce, men everywhere walk upright in the sunlight, the entire world is quietly at peace, a new era is upon us, even the lesson of victory itself brings with it profound concern both for our future security and the survival of civilization. The destructiveness of the war potential uh, through progressive advances and scientific discovery has in fact now reached a point that revises the traditional concept of war. Obviously, he was talking about Nagasaki and Hiroshima. Men, since the beginning of time, have sought peace. But military alliances, balance of power, leagues of nations all in turn failed, leaving the only path to be by way of the crucible of war. We have had our last chance. If we do not now devise some greater and more equitable system, Armageddon will be at our door. The pro problem is basically theological. It involves a spiritual recruitment and improvement of human character. It must be of the spirit if we are to save the flesh. I think that he was speaking prophetically there in many ways because we are now once again on the doorstep of another world war. Peace seems so elusive. And just when uh, there seemed to be a great measure of, of peace in the Middle East and Israel was negotiating with um, uh, uh, Saudi Arabia and they were going to become part of the Abraham Accords, uh, uh, we know that just a, a few days ago on October the 7th there was a catastrophic loss of life and now on the news, on social media, everywhere we look we can see the destructiveness of war. 
Notice with me our text verse. It seems only timely to preach this message today. Our text verse is found in Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 9. It says this, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Father, I ask that you will help me to be a vessel that merely communicates your word, and that no words would be spoken that you do not absolutely approve of. Father, that you might hide me behind your cross, and that, Father, that only people will hear and see your word this morning. We love you, Heavenly Father. Help us to be the peacemakers you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, there was a young daughter. She was diligently working uh, at her homework, and she was taking a long time at it, and her father came in and was curious and, and asked her, what, is, what was she doing? And, her, and the daughter said, I'm writing a report on the condition of the world and how to bring peace. Um, isn't that a big order for such a young girl? Uh, her dad said, oh, no, and don't worry, there are three of us from the class working on it. Uh, peace. In the introduction to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount and what we call the Beatitudes, the Lord tells us that His people are to be known with this word, peacemakers. And as we have done with each Beatitude, we're going to take a journey of discovery to find out what this verse is all about. So discovery number one this morning is, what in the world is the meaning of peace? The meaning of peace. And with that, allow me to give you several different thoughts. First of all, I see that peace is a biblical concept. It is from the Bible. The Bible refers to God as the God of peace on at least three occasions in the Word of God. The Bible contains some 400 direct references to peace and many more indirect references. Genesis even starts with the beautiful Garden of Eden. It was a place of peace and tranquility. The world then lost its peace through the fall of man into sin. Christ restored that peace through his death on the cross of Calvary. Revelation ends with the eternal ages in which peace will be restored and ruled over by the Prince of Peace. And peace characterizes um, uh, God's dealings with man. So we see that peace is a biblical concept. It comes from the Bible. But we also see that peace is difficult for men and women. Peace is so difficult for men and women. Listen to this. In all of recorded history, which is some 6,000 years, the world has been at peace, they say, only 8% of the time. In 6,000 years of recorded history, only 480 years has there not been peace. In fact, they say some 8,000 treaties have been made and broken. Another person said, peace is that glorious moment in history when everyone stops to reload. Not only do we have no global peace from war, we have no economic peace, and we have no religious peace, and we have no racial peace, and we have no family peace, and we have no personal peace. It seems like peace has completely eluded all of us, for the buzzword of today is a word called stress. And the reason there is little peace in the world is because of a person whose name is Satan, the devil, 
Lucifer. You see, he's the antithesis to God. God gives peace and Satan takes it away. Uh, he tells us to stick up for yourself, to put me first, to resent, to hate, and to fight. That's the message of the devil. Satan is that ultimate source for all of the turmoil in the world. I hate Satan. And you should too. Because Satan is a destroyer. He's a destroyer of our families. He's a destroyer of relationships. He's a destroyer of peace. Now, I also find that peace is defined by Jesus. I'm so thankful for this. Peace is defined by Jesus. Man's idea of peace is for everyone to stop fighting. Wouldn't it be so easier if just Hamas laid down their arms and Excuse me. And Israel laid down their arms, and Iran laid down their arms, and, and then Lebanon laid down their arms. Hey, that's man's definition of peace. Let's all just join hands and sing Kumbaya. This will never happen because there's something called a sin nature. The peace that Jesus speaks about here in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 9 is completely different. He even said over in John, he said this, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be afraid, ne uh, troubled, neither let it be afraid. Uh, Jesus' peace has nothing to do with the United Nations, has nothing to do with NATO or treaties or truces or arbitration. Um, may I just share with you that Christ's peace is an inward tranquility that manifests itself in complete trust in the love and the sovereignty of God. Philippians chapter 4 says it this way, that God's peace brings about something that it passes, surpasses all of our understanding. It's something that we cannot manufacture. Now, I would like for every one here for just a moment to look up this way. I know because it happens to me. In the in the course of a pastor or evangelist or missionary's message, we all have a tendency to allow our minds to wander for just a few moments. And we're thinking about lunch and we're thinking about, oh man, I got to do that. And we just had this thought, I've got to take care of that. And we'll allow our minds to wander. I'd like for everyone to pay attention, especially over the next couple of minutes. The reality is, is that apart from Christ, we cannot have peace. And so let me share something that would be very obvious for all of us this morning. In this congregation, at this very time, there are all kinds of different people. Allow me to take just a moment to differentiate the people that are here today. There are, by my standards, some very rich people here today. Rich in the fact that they may own two or three houses and they may have a lot more money in the bank than I have. And they can do things that I could only dream of. And there's people that are rich and they are younger than I am and already retired and having fun. But at the same time, in this congregation, there are people that by my standard is very poor. In fact, this past week I had the opportunity to talk with a, a lady and she was talking with me and just seeking some help and, and, uh, and she was uh, telling me about her financial situation. And in everything that she has, she has a total of $300. That's it. She doesn't know where her next rent's going to come from, where her next tank of gas is going to come from, where her next grocery bill's going to be, uh, 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 pay, how it's going to be paid for. By my standard, she is very poor. But on the other hand, there are some people in our congregation that's very rich. 
there's some people here in this congregation that are sickly. And that is, is that you are dealing with cancer, uh, and you have had chemo treatment, uh, chemotherapy treatments, and there are some people that are very healthy. In fact, we have someone here in our congregation that's preparing for a triathlon, and he swims, and he runs, and he cycles every week. And then there's some people that are here that are bound by a walker. And, um, and I think of, uh, of Jack here, and Jack, he has a walker and oxygen. He is, uh, he is in a situation where his body is compromised. We have healthy people here today, and we have sickly people here today. Oh, let me just say this, that we have some people in their relationships. We have some people here this morning that are married. You've been married for many years. You love your spouse. You have a dynamic marriage relationship. You're a model for the rest of us to walk, uh, uh, to watch and, and to follow after. You have an amazing marriage. But in this congregation, there's some people that's going through a divorce right now. And they have been married for years, but they're going to split up and they're going to go their separate ways. And we have some people right here that are, that, that are uh, moms and dads. They've been married uh, for years, and they're raising their children, and they're doing a great job with their children. But, you know, we also have some single parents here this morning. And we have some single parents who are struggling uh, with their finances and perhaps with their health and still trying to be mom and dad to their children. Do you realize we have some single adults here that desperately crave to be married and they're just waiting for that mister or that miss somebody to come into their life and they would desperately love to be married. And we have some people that you've been married for a long time and you just take your marriage for granted. We have some people here in this congregation right now, at this very moment, we have some people that, that are struggling with their, one of their children. And you just don't know what to do. You're about to pull your hair out, your, your wits in. And then we have over here, we have people that seemingly love their children and their children are perfect. We have right here in this, in this very, very congregation, we have people that tomorrow you do not know if you will have a job. You're worried about that. You're anxious at this very moment. And we have other people that you have job security that, that you, you don't even have to worry about that. Oh, let me say this. We have some people right here this morning in this very congregation that have lost a loved one. And it, it just absolutely is tearing you in two. The reality is, is that loss of life in your family is just, it, it, it could be a spouse or a grandparent or a child, and it is wreaking havoc in your life. You're here this morning, you're hurting. And then we have some other people here. Literally, you've never even had a death in your family. And if you had to have a funeral service, it would mess you up. But everything is good. Here's what I'm saying is we have every walk of life here today. We have people that are from foreign countries. And we have people who were born in America. We have people who can speak one language, English. And we have people who can speak multiple languages. We have every single group of people, black, white, yellow, uh, Hispanic, uh, Asian. Uh, we have white people. We have people that, uh, uh, everything, tall people, short people, and we'll stop there. <laughs> Here's what I want you, there's still some people, demons smiling now, they, 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 whatever. 
But I say all that to say is we have every single type of person in this and right here, not watching by live stream, not who will watch this in the future, that's here right now. Here's what I want you to know. That true peace can only be grasped through salvation. True peace can only be grasped through salvation. And there are some people here today, you're struggling in all these different areas I, I uh, mentioned you are struggling in a great way. And I want to say that salvation is the only way to experience peace. Now, you say, you mean I have to be a Baptist? Did I say that? Did I imply that? In this congregation, we have people right here this morning who are here because maybe of an invitation. You're not a member of our church. You've never set foot in this church. You're visiting from out of town, and you go to a Catholic church, or maybe you go to a Methodist church, or maybe you even don't go to church at all. You're unfamiliar with church, and all those people singing up there, you didn't even know that that was a choir. You're so unchurched, you don't know anything about church. Here's what I'm saying. We have every group of people here today and I'm not talking about religion in any manner. I'm talking about grasping salvation. We can only have true, ultimate peace when we've been saved, when we've experienced that relationship with Jesus Christ. In fact, the Bible says, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Do you want to have peace this morning? You must grasp, cling to salvation. You see, when we're saved, God fills our heart with a pure, peaceable wisdom. And James said, but the wisdom that is from above is pure, then peaceable. And we have peace because God has made us righteous, and the two actually go hand in hand. Mercy and truth are, are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed. Folks, wherever you are as you are seated right there this morning, peace can only be realized when I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. During baptism, Pastor Jonathan mentioned that uh, uh, this, this peace that can be found as one recognizes that they're a sinner and they recognize that if they call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, here's what will happen. They will be saved. If you're seated here this morning, it's not about religion. It's not about the church you go to or what you uh, think that you believe or you don't believe in God. True peace can only be attained through salvation. Now, peace is not cheap. And peace is attained with a price. Peace is attained with a price. Jesus said in Matthew 10, Think not that I am come to send peace. I came not to send peace, but a sword. What? That seems to be the exact opposite of today's beatitude. What did Jesus mean? He meant that peace comes with a price. And before a person can have peace with God, he must, come to, to, he must come to terms and truth and righteousness. And the truth is this. The truth is in the gospel. It is it, it, in it, the gospel, a person finds the righteousness of God. And in, in God's righteousness, uh, he finds that he is a sinner and that he needs to repent and that he needs to Trust Christ, and if you've never trusted Christ and acknowledge yourself as a sinner, you don't recognize the price, the terrible price of peace. And before we can ever be at peace between nations, 
And between husbands and wives and between friends, there must be a true admission of guilt and a coming to terms with righteousness. Jesus came to bring a sword of division, and our sin removes peace, and his message divides uh, those who will trust God from those who will not trust God. And listen, right here this morning, there will be people who will listen to my voice, and and, and somewhere uh, shortly before 12 o'clock, we'll stand together, and you'll say, That's not for me. And you will walk out of this auditorium and you will not have peace. And this afternoon, maybe you'll take a nap. Or this evening, assuredly, you will go to bed. And when you put your head on your pillow, you cannot know peace apart from Jesus Christ. And I'm begging you to listen to the message this morning. The price for our peace was the cross of Christ. Literally, 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ walked this earth and he gave his life on the cross so that we can have peace. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him, I say, whether they be things in, in earth or things in heaven. Jesus, he bore our sin and he offers us his righteousness, which gives us peace with God. Well, That's the meaning of peace. Let me share quickly discovery number two, and that's some characteristics of a peacemaker. Do we have any peacemakers here today? I wonder. So if we do, these characteristics will be evident. The people who bring peace to this world are not politicians. President Biden and Prime Minister Netanyahu or Secretary of State Blinken all all have a brand of peace, and that brand of peace will never last. The true peacemakers are the people who have God's peace. Do you know what the Bible says? Paul wrote to the church of Corinth. He says, God has called us to be peacemakers. And he wrote, uh, God has called his people to the ministry of reconciliation. And the ministry of reconciliation is essentially the ministry of peacemaking, helping others to find peace with God. And even in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul declared to all of us who know Jesus Christ as personal Lord and Savior, he says, you are my ambassadors. You are ambassadors of peace in a peaceless world. So let me give you five characteristics That will be evident in the life of a peacemaker. Here's characteristic number one. A peacemaker has made his own peace with God. A peacemaker will have made his own peace with God. He's a person who's been saved and thus reconciled to God. And though he was God's enemy, he's been reconciled to God by the death of his son on the cross. And because he's saved, the Bible says he knows the peace of God, which passes all understanding. Helen Steiner Rice wrote this. Whenever I'm troubled and lost in despair, I bundle up all my trouble, I bundle all my troubles up and go to God in prayer. I tell him I'm heartsick and lost and lonely too, that I am deeply burdened and don't know what to do. But I know he stilleth the tempest and calmed the angry sea, and I humbly ask if in his love he'll do the same for me. Then I just keep quiet and Think on thoughts of peace as I abide in stillness, my restless murmurings cease. There's some people this morning, you need peace. The sea of trouble rages in your life and you are begging for something, someone 
some amount of money, some job. You're looking in all the wrong places when peace is available to you through Jesus Christ. And even though a, a, a saved person recognizes he's saved, he still has his sin. And a saved person does not want this sin to affect that peace of life. And so he confesses that sin back to God. The selfish, self-centered Christian with little concern for sin cannot be that ambassador for God. Here's characteristic number two. Characteristic number two of a peacemaker. A peacemaker leads others to make peace with God. A peacemaker leads others to make peace with God. Ephesians 6 and verse 15 tells us that all believers are to have their feet shod with the gospel of peace. We're to be ready and willing to share it, uh, uh, and both in the way we live and in our verbal testimony. Uh, people who believe the gospel share it. Do you believe the gospel? Then you need to share it. Um, I wonder this morning, when's the last time that you as a peacemaker shared about the Prince of Peace, the one who brought peace to your life. Reminds me of a story. I read about a, little, a lady who found a little dog, and the dog had actually been struck by a car, and she brought him in her house only to find out that he really was just stunned, had a couple cuts and bruises. And so she cleaned up the little dog, and, and she cleaned up the mutt, actually gave it some drink and a little bit of food, and and. Um, and, and the dog kept scratching at the door, and so she opened the door, and the dog just went away. And she said she thought to herself, that little ungrateful cur. Um, and so just a few minutes later, she was surprised to hear scratching at the door. And uh, there was that little dog and another poorly, poorly managed dog from the neighborhood that wanted the same treatment that it had just gotten. Oh, we'll smile at that. But do you understand that we were once, as Christians, a poor, deranged little dog, if I could put it that way, on our way, eternal separation from God, and someone, Jesus Christ, cleaned us up, put us back on our feet, and you know what we should be doing? Telling others and bringing others to Jesus. Peacemaker number three, a peacemaker helps others make peace with others. A peacemaker helps others make peace uh, with others. And when a person comes to Christ, he has a peace with God, and he becomes a peacemaker to the world, and he builds a bridge between God and man, and he also builds bridges between men and other men. And Romans chapter 12 says it this way, If it be at all possible, as much as life in you, live peaceably with all men. And sometimes... Making peace involves a rebuke, and of course, this requires a humble spirit and a desire for peace and God's will. Folks, if I'm going to be a peacemaker, I ought to be helping others have peace with each other. Number four, a peacemaker looks for a point of agreement. A peacemaker looks for a point of agreement. We must never compromise God's truth. However, we can uh, usually find some point of agreement with almost anyone. And we must contend without being contentious. And we must disagree without being disagreeable. And we must oppose without being offensive. Um, I, I, I do not understand why sometimes Christians are some of the unkindest people in the world. May that not be said of us. May no one ever walk in these doors and, say, and leave here and, and say, man, those people are unkind. 
I was interviewing the missionaries, and we sat down this past week, and we interviewed all of the missionaries, went through a series of questions just to find out about how much support they were seeking, where they are with support, and, and, and about their family and, and uh, their, their plans, and just to get to know them so that we can make a, an intelligent recommendation to our church. And one of those uh, uh, missionaries said, I just can't believe how friendly your church is. Well, to me, that begs the question, you mean you go to churches that aren't unfriendly? Uh, that, that you go to churches that are unfriendly and that aren't friendly like our church? And, I, and so I asked, I said, uh, I said, so do you mean that you go to churches that, that are not like our church? And the missionary said, or the missionary's wife piped up and said, you don't understand. We actually went to a church and they didn't even know we were coming. And we got there. And they said, oh, you could just set up your table over there. And so we set up and she said, this is no lie. She elbowed her husband and she says, isn't it true? Not three people spoke to us. God help us as Tucson Baptist Church if we can't be friendly and find some point of agreement and not be disagreeable, not be hateful. Let us, let us exude the love of Christ that, that saved us. We must never seek a cheap peace. Um, unity at the expense of biblical teaching, and we've got to strike that balance. But I remind you of Ephesians chapter 4 that tells us to speak the truth. How? In love. And we, may, we never back away from the truth, but we must always deliver it in a spirit of love. Charles Swindoll, he wrote this, and I, I want to share this with you in his book, Simple Faith. Uh, he said this, peacemakers release tension, they don't intensify it. Peacemakers seek solutions and find no delight in arguments. Peacemakers calm the waters. They don't trouble them. Peacemakers work hard to keep an offense from occurring. And if it has occurred, they strive for resolution. Peacemakers lower their voice rather than raise them. Peacemakers generate more light than heat. Blessed are such great-hearted souls. We need more of them in the ranks of faith. We have more than enough fighters more than enough who are ready to pounce. Folks, I think I want to be the opposite of that. You know what? When I hear about a problem, here's what I have the immediate opportunity to do. I can take this problem and I can make it really big. Or I can take this problem and make it small. And every one of us, we have that opportunity to do that. Quickly, um, the fifth characteristic of a peacemaker is this. A peacemaker makes peace wherever he goes. A peacemaker makes peace wherever he goes. We do not just make peace in church. We're to practice these principles in our home and on the job and at school. I enjoy the interesting little essay entitled this, A Holy Meddler. Smith and Jones were on the outs over a very trivial matter. This deeply concerned Deacon Brown, so he prayed that he might be a peacemaker. He called on Smith and asked, what do you think of Jones? He's the meanest crank in the neighborhood. But, said Brown, you have to admit that he's very kind with his family. Uh, the next day, Brown went to Jones and inquired, do you know what Smith said about you? No, but I can imagine how that scamp would lie about me. Uh, this may surprise you, Deacon, Jones said, or Deacon Brown said, but he said you're very kind to your family. What? Did Smith say that? Yes, he did. Well, if you hadn't told me, I wouldn't believe it. What do you think of Smith? Asked Deacon Brown. Truthfully, he, I believe he's a low-down scallywag, but you have to admit that he's very honest in his business. 
Yes, there's no getting around that. In business, he's a man you can trust. The next day, Deacon Brown called on Smith. And he says, you know what Jones said about you? He claims you're a fellow that can really be trusted in business and that you're scrupulously honest. You mean it? Yes, I do, said Deacon Brown. Well, of all things, replied Smith with a big old grin. The next Sunday, the former enemies nodded to each other at church. Deacon Brown continues his meddling until the next annual business meeting uh, of the church when, when uh, actually Smith and Jones shook hands and finally voted on the same side. God loves a holy meddler. Do you know what? A lot of us, we like to pour gasoline on the fire instead of water. And we ought to be holy meddlers. Well, what are the benefits? Discovery number three, blessed are the peacemakers. What are the benefits of me being a peacemaker? What is it that I can take away from this message? The Bible says right here in verse number nine that we are blessed. We are blessed. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. That word literally means happy. It literally means fortunate. God will bless you if you're a peacemaker. And then he says this, what a great, with an exclamation point we could put there, what a great compliment that if you're a peacemaker, then it is evidence that you are a children of God. Are you a child of God? We're called the children of God if we have this characteristics. I'm thankful for my family heritage. My grandfather was a hardworking coal miner and uh, missing one eye due to uh, uh, something that happened at birth. At fifth grade, he left school and went to work in the coal mines of West Virginia. I'm proud of my parents. They taught me to love God, live with honor and integrity, and I'm proud to be their son. But I want you to know something this morning. Most importantly, I'm proud to be the son of God. I'm proud to, that God has adopted me into his family because I accepted him as my personal Lord and Savior. And I want you to know that, that I have not always been a great job of being a peacemaker, but I strive to be a peacemaker, and I want to be blessed by God. I want people to know that Brent Armstrong is a child of God. That word children here, it, it, it expresses a dignified and honorable relationship between child and parents, and that includes all of God's people. To be a peacemaker is to be a Christian, and a person who is constantly irritable and quarrelsome and offended and offensive is either not a Christian or it's a Christian who's rebellion against God. May I say that again? I want all of us to hear that. A person who is constantly irritable and quarrelsome and offended and offensive is either not a Christian or is a Christian who's rebellion against God. I think we need to all check our hearts this morning. Notice that we shall be called God's children. The world will call us the children of God by the peaceful way in which we live. And as I conclude this message, I'm almost finished. Might I just ask you a couple questions? Question number one, and I'd like for you to answer this. Do you have peace with God? Right now, do you have peace with God? Do you know that you've been saved? Are you eternally destined for heaven, or are you still fighting against that? You say, well, I have been such a good, religious, moral person. Why do I need salvation? So that you can experience his peace. Because apart from salvation, you cannot experience the peace that I'm talking about this morning. Number two, do you have the peace of God this morning? Do you have the peace of God? Maybe you've been saved, but you constantly worry about everything. 
You need to give up your worries to God in prayer and experience His, His peace in your heart and your mind and quit being quarrelsome and argumentative and, and just lay down your arms and understand God has called all of us to be a peacemaker. Number three, be careful on this one. Do you have peace with others? Do you this morning have peace with others? Is your life marked by fighting and quarreling? Are you constantly upset Always upset, upset with other people, upset about some situation. You need to either be saved or you need to surrender anew to the Lord. That's your two choices. Constantly being quarrelsome is not one of the choices. Number four, do you help others find peace? Do you help others find peace? How long has it been since you introduced anyone to the Prince of Peace? How long has it been since you told someone about Jesus. I think General MacArthur was right. The problem of peace is basically theological. As I began this message, I shared this quote. General MacArthur said this, if we do not now devise some greater or more equitable system, Armageddon will be at our door. The problem is basically theological and involves a spiritual recruitment and improvement of human character. It must be of his spirit if we're to save the flesh. Where he must be of the spirit. If we're to save the flesh. 